Nobody's here but me and Mackie. Very odd. Usually there's at least three guys here. I'm in the studio. I had to close my studio door all for myself today. Oh, hated it. I despised it. I, I did not enjoy having to do things for my own self. Disgusting. Disgusting stuff. Anyway, um, same with the Jays offense last night. My God. Uh, uh, so uh, let's go through this like one of my favorite classic movies. The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. All right? Incredible, incredible flick. The Good. You say Kikuchi. Obviously. Duh. The guy has been brilliant. Nothing short of brilliant for a month. His last five starts, he's given up one earned or less in each of them. And that's included the Orioles, pretty good team. The Dodgers, pretty good team. The Diamondbacks, pretty good team. And the suddenly red-hot Seattle Mariners who are kind of ruining that Red Sox series immediately. The Red Sox series, as listen, that was fun. Babe Schneider, that was fun. That was enjoyable. It was a breath of fresh air for this team to do something like that when they needed to do it, right? Blue Jays season, they just got embarrassed by the Baltimore Orioles. They need a season win against the Red Sox. They don't just get two. They get all three. And they push the Red Sox down the pile, and they put them in their place, and you go, okay, maybe the Red Sox are done. What did I say going into the weekend? Step on their throats. And then you don't even get to enjoy it for two seconds because the Blue Jays offense shows up for the next two days against real pitchers and goes right back to business as usual. And the Seattle Mariners have won, I think, six games in a row. I think they've won nine of their last 11. And suddenly they sit two back of the Blue Jays with the tiebreaker in hand, breathing down their necks. Great. Good stuff. Um, but yeah, Kikuchi, 97 paint yesterday. Just it, truly it, uh, a story of two games that were happening. One, their starting pitcher just absolutely dominating, lights out, gorgeous, shutting down this team. Amazing stuff. In, in fact, I would argue if we're just talking from a stuff and enjoyment perspective, when any of the Blue Jays pitchers are on right now, my favorite guy to watch is Kikuchi. Like, I love having Ryu back. That was enjoyable for the few innings that he was pitching the other day where it's just all that command and control and somehow he's figuring out a way to baffle pitchers. I love watching Gossman when he's on just dominate. There's an obviously, but Kikuchi, his ERA is actually right around where Gossman and Barrios are. And those two guys have been whatever the stories of the season, right? For a staff that has been so incredible, Kikuchi has been awesome. And they talked about, they asked the question of whether or not he's underrated yesterday to John Schneider. He said not to us. But at this point, I think yesterday and this last month, there's probably been a little bit of a tipping point with the fan base where they're going, okay, we were, the bar for this guy was to just not be so terrible that you had to abandon all the money that he got. That this was supposed to be like Jaime Garcia, except for on a three-year contract. This was supposed to be the new Tanner Roark. And the guy has been unfreaking believable one of the absolutely unquestionably one of the best, what, 12, 13 pitchers in all of baseball this year, 15. Like that's how good this guy's been. And so hell yes. You say Kikuchi loved every second of it, by the way, buying that stock at the beginning of the season, <laughs> rich, filthy, 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 rich. If I was as good as investing as I was in the baseball predictions. Uh, yeah. Uh, let's just say, you know, maybe I wouldn't be here. <laughs> maybe I'd be doing something else. I'd be on the succession yacht. 
But yeah, 1.24 ERA over his last 29 innings. Hot, 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 hot stuff. And enjoyable as hell to watch it. And I especially enjoy it because myself included, I'm, I'm with every single person arm in arm. We all buried him. We all threw dirt on him. We all said that he wasn't going to be anything. We, yeah. We crushed the guy relentlessly for, yeah, what was a bad season, which was a, it was a really, really bad season. But holy crap, who saw this coming? Who saw this from Yusei Kikuchi where he was going to end up being this brilliant and this important on August 9th? So that's the good. That was the fun part of last night. The rest? <laughs> bad. Here's the bad. What the hell was Biggio doing in there in the ninth? Okay, and I can already hear the dork brigade going, don't you remember the game before, JD? It's a short memory. Yeah. You know what was so shocking about the game before? Was that Kevin freaking Biggio did it. It was like, hey, man, good for you. You got us a game. You got the Jays a game. Hell yes, Kevin. The Kevin Biggio game. Out of your 100-plus at-bats this season, you finally strung one together where it was a big moment, then you had an awesome defensive play, and I've never seen Kevin Biggio fired up like that, ever. He's mostly a stoic kind of guy, and there he broke character because even he probably surprised himself to a degree. You've got Kirk and Chapman on the bench, who both end up pinch-hitting in this inning, by the way, against Emmanuel Class A, one of the best closers in all of baseball. You get your runner on... And you get one out, and that guy, that's the guy who steps to the dish? What the hell are we doing? You had the two better hitters right there. You needed to score that run anyway. Again, they just can't figure things out. Varsho gets, like, he gets over, and you're just saying, just advance the runner. You just need the game time run. Move the first guy to third. No, you can't do that. Have a good pinch hit. No, you're not doing that. You're going with Kevin Biggio. Guess what? He predictably strikes out. You get the infield single from Chapman. Great, fine. And then Kirk out. So maybe it wouldn't have made a difference. But I'd rather have the guys, at least Kirk, who is like good to contact, especially with Heat, than seeing Kevin Biggio there. And I will say too, and this I'm just kind of slipping this in with the bad. DeYoung has two bases in 26 at-bats and nine Ks so far with the Blue Jays. Two total bases, 26 ABs, nine Ks. So... He better be damn slick with the glove for this to have been even 1% worth it so far. And I know, again, there's been plenty of guys who started out slow here and then ended up being really good. And Whit Merrifield was one of them, actually, where he really struggled at the gate. So obviously this isn't a, you know, this. I don't even really know where I'm going with this other than could he really have been that much worse than Santiago Espinal at that spot? Is this, is this really making a difference at this point? By the time Bo Bichette gets back? Like, I don't know. Just bad. Bad stuff. Anyways, now the ugly. Oh, the ugly. The the runners in scoring position thing. It's just score some runs. Score some runs. This offense just in general, for the love of God, please stop doing this to people. And and <laughs> you know, John Schneider, I watched the post game yesterday and he's doing the whole same thing, same song and dance. It's like, wow, these guys, like same thing with the Orioles here. These guys really pitched well. These guys pitch so well. Yeah, they're good pitchers. There's lots of good pitchers in baseball. A lot of them have good game plans. A lot of them located their pitches that night. Like, okay, fine. Way too many days like this to 
just be able to tolerate it. And again, there's like the ugly part of this is that you get out of that Red Sox series and you feel like, okay, something's happening here. That you, you scored a bunch of runs. God, that felt so, it, it was relief, sweet relief. And now it's just back to this, where immediately the offense goes totally in the tank. George Springer, oh, he's turned a corner on the Red Sox series. Oh, no, no. Huge strikeout for him in the third. Same thing. Bases loaded, one out. Just find a way to put one run in, can't do it. And for whatever reason, by the way, again, if we're going to criticize the managing of this team, like what, what is Dalton Varsho doing hitting cleanup? Like what, what are we doing back to this? He was, he was, sorry, fifth is it in the five hole. What, why, what, 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 what possible, what possible reason could you have for putting a guy who has been one of the worst hitters in all of baseball this year in the five hole? What, what are we doing? What, what is it? What, what is happening here? I get it. Kiermaier's hurt. Bo's hurt. So, so that's, you're there based on those two injuries? Kevin Kiermaier to start the season was supposed to be a platoon guy. Just painful. And, and that's just it. It's like, man, and Varsho, whatever, it's multiple times. Again, runners in scoring position, he doesn't cash any of them. And then awesome, he gets on base at the end of the game. Good for him, but they can't cash him either. Anyway, just starting to look more and more like that. Red Sox series was a massive outlier. And the runners in scoring position stuff doesn't appear to be changing anytime soon. And yeah, I mentioned the Chris Bassett quote when I had Ennis on the other day about how he went, we got embarrassed in the Baltimore series and we took that personally into the Red Sox series and blah, blah, blah. And now we got to go in and do the same thing to Cleveland. The pitcher showed up just like they have all season long. Pitcher showed up. They knew what to do. Got a couple of guys who spun a couple of gems before Hunjin Ryu got hurt. And, and hey, that's, I guess, one of the big positives out of yesterday is that Hunjin Ryu is fine and great. He's probably not going to miss his next start. So the pitcher showed up. Pitchers understood the assignment. Those guys knew yet again for the Toronto Blue Jays. Yep, yep, we're going to continue to go out there and do our jobs. Bats completely cold again. Bats just completely unwatchable. And yeah, I'm sorry, but what, what has been, what was a fun weekend for against the Red Sox, which was a needed, needed, needed for the sanity of the fan base weekend against the Red Sox, has just, like, immediately, it's one game. People are going to say I'm overreacting. It's not one game. It's the accumulation of the entire season watching this offense where you're just going, this is painful. I'm not enjoying this. Where is the spot in the lineup where I'm supposed to feel confident? And why are they putting out a punt lineup against one of the, like, a, a really good starting pitcher in a game that they still need? Like, the Guardians stink, but the Mariners are two games back of you. Like, they... They're two games back and they have the tiebreaker. How are you running the punt lineup out there? How is today the day that you're deciding to rest Matt Chapman anyway? Just just very, very painful game to watch for the Blue Jays whenever the bats are out. Uh, the other interesting Toronto stuff from yesterday, Sham Sharania from the sky drops in this report. Quote, Atlanta has offered a package centered around DeAndre Hunter, A.J. Griffin, and draft compensation to Toronto for Siakam, league sources say. But the Raptors, this, hold on, this isn't written in his piece, but stop me if you've heard this before, are believed to have upped their price on any possible deal at each turn. For now, talks are at a complete pause, and the Hawks are fully prepared to enter the 23-24 season with their current team, according to league sources, end quote. 
And already the Raptors defenders have come out of the woodwork like, yay, the Raptors should be pushing for more and let them go into the season. And all I would say is this before, you know, I'm going to get my buddy Vivek Jacob on who is excellent and can't wait to have this conversation with him. But like, how's that working out for the Raptors? This whole, don't worry, we'll wait and do the business later thing. Like, like how, how has the track record been going for that? Because they did that with Kyle Lowry. <laughs> Didn't work out. F. They tried to do that with Fred Van Vliet. F. They did that last season. F. Like, when, when are we going to realize that maybe the in-season stuff for the Raptors or the kick in the can down the road thing is not just the strategy people should be having the most confidence in? I, I just, I, I'm really at a loss for how people are looking at this and going, yeah, yeah, no, it's fine. Let him go into the season. The guy that wants 30% of the salary cap, who's going to be 30 next year, it'll be fine. At the team that had chemistry issues last year, it'll be fine. It will be so totally fine. Anyways, my buddy, Vivek Jacob, Raptors and tennis writer for CBC, Raptors.com and Sportsnet. What's up, brother? How we doing? I'm doing great, J.D. How are you? I'm frustrated today. Oh, this is an angry show. <laughs> I can hear it. I can <laughs> hear it. I watched that Blue Jays game yesterday just grumbling, you know, like, get a hit, get one hit, do a hit. And they just went, no, we won't be doing any of the hitting. We won't yeah. score those runs. Actually, sorry, they got some hits. They just not... Not when the it's the time to score runs. And then, yeah, I saw this Raptors report. And, okay, I, I, let me start with this. Like I said, I get it. I understand Raptors fans and NBA media people looking at this and saying, really, this is all you can get? You know, DeAndre Hunter, AJ Griffin, this is one of the greatest Raptors ever. And what what is the asking price supposed to be? What is the verbiage on draft compensation that's murky, right? Like, what is that? How many first-round picks is that? I would argue that... I'm guessing that it's not going to be a whole hell of a lot that Atlanta's offering. But yeah, just let's just start with this. What's your position on the ideal Siakam outcome here? Like like what to you is an ideal realistic outcome at this point? Well, the thing is I don't think you have an ideal outcome without Siakam signing an extension because so you he's want made him it- extended. Well, the reason I say that is because he has made it clear that he will not sign an extension with any other team. Mm -hmm. So if you're Atlanta, if you're whoever out there, you are not willing to give up significant assets without that commitment. And so unless you can get Siakam to give you a almost essentially like a trade list of, hey, if you send me to these teams, I will sign an extension with them. I think your next best play is to get the extension done, kick the can down the road and see what deal can be worked out later. Once, you know, obviously uh, he'll, he'll have to go six months of keeping that extension. And then you can think about trading him again. But I think as it stands right now, unless he's willing to commit to signing an extension with another team, you are not going to get great offers. So for example, when they say, Hey, A.J. Griffin, DeAndre Hunter, and draft compensation. What does that look like? The Atlanta Hawks don't have first-round picks in 2025, 2026, and 2027. Mm -hmm. They have a pick that they can give you from 2024, and then you're looking at 2028, maybe 2030. I sense, just reading between the lines, Kobe Bufkin would have become eligible for trade August 2nd. And so I imagine that they would have had some conversations, and with the Raptors not budging, Atlanta was like, you know what? This is going nowhere. And then you get this kind of report. And so if you look at that, you have to look at Siakam and say, hey, 
what are the teams you're willing to try and sign an extension with? Or, hey, let's get the extension done here. I just, at this point, I guess, to me, it's becoming way too risky. Like, if Siakam is on that contract extension, right, Mm -hmm. there's, there's multiple things that can happen here. Like, he turns 30 the following year when all that money goes up against the books. All of a sudden, you're trying to trade a much bigger contract. And you don't know what's going to end up with happen, happening with these teams. Like, everybody always wants star power in the NBA. That's usually not a thing that's going to go away. I don't think that Siakam is going to regress to the point where you go, oh, yeah, no, he he's not going to. But, like, the idea that the Raptors would be operating with him, like, okay, sign this extension with us, and then both parties are going to operate in good faith that we could be revisiting this trade conversation a year from now, and then he could be ending up with anybody. Like, uh, to me, it just feels a little bit like posturing on Siakam's part. Is he really going to turn a massive contract extension down with a team that trades for him if it's in a landing spot, you know, that is remotely a decent place to live in? By all accounts, that all I've ever heard my entire life is that Atlanta is a a fun (laughs) place for NBA players to play, right? Like, I I just have a tough time thinking, okay, this guy's going to want to get the hell out of here. I wouldn't really necessarily want to play with Trey Young, but, uh, like, it doesn't seem like this is a scenario where... I'm really believing that Siakam is going to set his sights on, I need to get to LA, right? Like, have you ever gotten mm-hmm. that impression from him? It's, it's not nope. like he's nope. from an area that there's a threat that he's going to be going somewhere. I just, it has always felt like a bit of posturing to me. And the risk side of this, it just doesn't feel like it's being addressed enough. Siakam could get hurt. You could have a scenario where the Raptors, who are a team that just brought in a young head coach, Uh, that is supposed to be about development ends up with a guy who is upset about not having a contract on his hands, upset about Mm -hmm. potentially having to be on a bit of a rebuilding team. That's back kind of stuck in the middle that that ends up going deeper. You could end up having a scenario where a team like the Hawks that they go into the year and they say, you know what, this package is actually off the table because maybe Deandre Hunter is playing better. Maybe they find they unlock something in AJ Griffin. Maybe that draft pick that, would be in this year's draft that they would be offering. All of a sudden, their team stinks. Somebody gets hurt on their side of it. Now they don't want to offer a first-round pick in this year's draft. Like, I, I just, I, I've kind of lost my faith in the Raptors' ability to do business in season, as I guess where I'm going with this. And I wonder if at the end of the day, your decision is you don't want to extend Pascal Siakam, which by all accounts, they do not want to give him the the 30%, right? The, his, the max mm-hmm. eligible, what is it, $192 million over four yeah. that he can command? then you've like the market is the market at this point. And at some, like if your coach is a developmental guy and you can get two former first round picks, both of which I think were top 10, right? Oh no, AJ Griffin maybe just fell outside of that top 10. Right. Uh, Either way, uh, two guys that are both shooters, two guys who are 25 and 20 years old, you get a first round pick, you get a future first round pick in 2028 that you, you end up having as a bit of a lottery ticket down the line. I'm just, I'm not convinced that that's all that horrific of an offer. Like, I, I don't look at this and say, wow, I'm completely blown away. What a massive win for the Raptors. But I also don't look at this if it is those two future firsts and then some seconds sprinkled in there. I'm not looking at that like a disaster for a guy who's going to be 30 and who needs a max contract extension. Like, I, I don't really understand the disconnect there, I guess. Yeah, I hear that. It, it might be a case of how bad do they really want, like, Kobe Buckin, maybe. You know, yeah, maybe. Kind of trying to get him involved in those conversations you know going back to what you were talking about earlier i will say i do think that the raptors front office misplayed their hand in terms of a siakam extension in that once siakam missed the all nba team i think that was a golden opportunity to say hey Mm -hmm. you can get him at the contract that is fair value to everyone if he had made the all nba team and he would have been eligible for the 35 percent 
then you get yourself into a problem. Then you get them at an amount of money that becomes difficult to trade. Uh, and the last thing you want is a Bradley Beal type situation. Mm-hmm. That's the nightmare scenario, right? And so I think that's where missing out on this type of extension could prove very costly. And so other teams are looking at it, and again, they're going to say, hey, Siakam's not willing to sign an extension. This is all you get. And the Raptors can't play hardball. It's like they're trying to play poker with when everyone can see the cards. Like, yeah. there's really nothing to do. Um, and so I think they're in a tough spot. Obviously, the, the Fred Van Vliet exit uh, had an impact in how they can go about things as well because they could have just said, hey, we feel good about our team right now going forward. But guess what? You're not going to be that good next season. Um, at best, you're going to be competing for the play-in. Uh, and so I think that's where the problems really start, where you don't go into this season saying, oh, you know what, that starting five of Bentley and OG and um, Pascal and Scotty and Jakob Pertl had a net rating of plus nine, and we feel good about that and whatnot. You can't say that anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think they are in a real tough spot, um, and – I think other teams sense that they sense the blood in the water. And so they are not going to budge. And as we're seeing, the Raptors are not going to budge either. Yeah. And, and this is what I guess scares me a little bit about this is like, I'm looking at this trade package and again, I'm not blown away by it, but if you told me that it was a 24 and a 28 with those two guys, I'd be saying, okay, if you really don't like the players and you're Masai Ujiri and you go, no, I, we, we think that Deandre Hunter is exactly this, right? Like he's a 15 point a game guy. And his shooting is going to be a little bit inconsistent and you just don't love him. And that we look at Griffin as well and say, yeah, uh, yeah, good shooter, but we don't see the fit for the team. If, if that's your evaluation, fine. Right. But if this is mm-hmm. about, we actually kind of like these guys and we, this is the team that we keep talking to, but we're fighting over Cody Bufkin for all this time. And now Atlanta's going, we're set and you miss this window of opportunity and it goes into the season. I just, I'm having a tough time seeing the scenario where all of a sudden, like, these Siakam offers become just dynamite, incredible, way better. Like, why, why is a team making a desperation move for Siakam at the deadline when we just did this dry run a year ago with the Raptors at the deadline and teams trying to squeeze them out the same way? And, like, to me, it's like the risk and of... And quickly, can, yeah, can I just add yeah, yeah. something to that? Yeah. Remember, Masai said at the deadline that teams become hungrier in the off season that that yep. you know big deals are to be made in the off season not at the trade deadline oh are you going against that now yeah <laughs> it's like so the messaging uh has been confusing the direction of course is unknown and so i understand why there's a lot of frustration with where this team is at right now yeah i just to me it's like the upside play here the belief is, okay, so let's say the best case scenario happens. You went to the season, Siakam decides to completely play ball. He's okay with not having a contract extension. Um, sure, let's believe that, that that's fine with him. He just puts that chip on his shoulder. He balls out. He buys in with the young guys. He says that he wants to be here. And the Raptors are a team that's pretty much ish where they were last year. Like, okay, is and they get buy-in from OG, who also doesn't have a contract extension, Gary Trent Jr., who also doesn't have a contract extension, and that they've got a brand-new head coach with a couple of young players who are around there, and Scotty Barnes looking to take over the reins of this team, and all of that meshing in the team having chemistry. Or is it more likely that you have all these guys that show up to camp without contract extensions, like three of your most important players, three of your mm-hmm. starting-caliber players, 
who are all kind of looking for theirs, who are all sort of wondering what their future is going to be, and a bunch of young guys who aren't anticipating them being there and them not meshing and having a really difficult first season with this head coach in a year where you don't own your draft pick. And then all of a sudden, your situation is just like not a very good one, and you have a repeat of last year's deadline where you're holding out for these massive prices because you don't you have to save some face. You can't get you know, pilfered on a deal for any of these guys at this point, not given the position that you've had these last two full seasons and after Fred Van Vliet walked for nothing. Like, t- to me, it's like, if you've made your decision on Siakam, that you're trading him, right? If you've made the decision that you're no longer going to do the the middle-of-the-road thing and you're going to pick a direction of going younger rather than trying to mesh these two timelines, which by all accounts... Uh, like the eye test, the reporting behind the scenes, like has not worked. And that's why there's reluctance in the Raptors in signing this guy. Then I think at some point you have to just say, we, we can't have a repeat of last year. We, we can't have this again where we enter the season and we have bad chemistry. We have risk potential of injury. The market is the market. We have to take what's best for this organization now. As difficult as that sounds. I agree. I, I agree with all of that. I, I think the only thing you do now is try to get other teams involved. Like we've heard the Atlanta rumor over and over and over. Yeah. What does maybe an Indiana have? Like, is there a way to get Benedict Matherin or an mm. Jarris Walker? And that feels like a stretch there? Benedict Matherin for in the trade. Like, I, I don't, mean, yeah, that's that, but it, but it is a two time all NBA player that you yeah. are trying to trade. Yeah. So, that I, that's what you've got to aim for, right? If, mm-hmm. you, if you're trying to up the Atlanta offer or whatever it is, if you're trying to set a different market than what's being offered to you, that's what you have to show, yeah. right? That, that's the type of deal on the table. Yeah. Um, you know, for a long time, we made, you know, how do we bring Shea Gilgis-Alexander to Toronto? Uh. I mean, OKC <laughs> has a heck of a package to get Pascal Siakam. They don't have the contracts, so, though. It's so hard I mean, from a contract standpoint for them to you, get it done. Yeah, but, I mean, you start with Lugans Dort. Yeah, I know. He'd have to be in there with his yeah. contract. And then they've acquired Davis Bertans. That's another salary yeah. that you can dump in there. Um, I think there is a way to make it work now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that those are kind of the only teams that you can really look at. Um, and again, this is part of why the Raptors are stuck in a hard place. There's yep. only so many teams that can really make that big time offer. Yeah. Um, that, uh, so I've loved the OKC landing spot for forever. I've been trying to do fake trades. Last deadline, I was trying to steal Chet in Blake's fake <laughs> con- <laughs> fake trade column. I was like, yeah, why not Siakam and the Dort contract? It's like something similar to that. Utah gets involved as a third team. And somehow the Raptors end up with Chet and they just kind of restart fully from scratch. If I'm OKC, though, at this point, I'm still keeping the powder a bit dry. I want to see what Chet looks like with the team and if he can stay healthy, right? With Shea and mm-hmm. with Lou Dort and your younger team, now all of a sudden you bring 29-year-old Siakam into there, the expectation changes a bit. That's yeah. that, that's a team where if you're Toronto, that's probably where you let yourself believe a little bit going into the season is that you end up with another Western Conference where there's those kind of teams that are looking to take that next step, starting to feel a little bit of the desperation like it seemed as though the Pelicans were last year. The problem I have with OKC is that it's just, it's an extremely front, it's a smart front office and it's such a patient front office that I I have a hard time ever seeing Presti go, you know what, we're getting desperate and we're, you know, paying, you know, $5 for a dollar on the Siakam trade. It it just, yeah, it's like the the worst team you could be thinking about negotiating with. Like, it's like them and Maury where you go, yeah, I don't think that they're going to budge and I don't think that you're going to end up finding a middle ground. I, 
I don't know. I, the, I, the point you make about middle ground is interesting, right? Like yeah. you, when we started this conversation, you asked me what was ideal. So yeah. if you take away, you know, what teams have to offer, all of that, what is an ideal scenario for me? I have envisioned, you know, the ideal scenario being the type of deal that uh, Indiana made when they traded Paul George and got back Victor Oladipo. Now, obviously, Oladipo yeah. had the injuries and stuff, but that was a very good deal. Yeah. Or you even look at, um, you know, when Paul George went to the Clippers, right? And the type of return. Yeah. We didn't know got. Shea was going to be that, though, at the time. Like, and no, uh, to exactly, be fair, we but, didn't know Oladipo was going to be that at the time. And, and I do wonder if there's that's like... the type of deal that the Raptors yeah. have to look at. Who yes. is that guy? That they love. Yeah. That hasn't peaked. That hasn't, you know, the cat's not out of the bag yet. That you can get. And I think to me, that is an ideal scenario. And these situations right now don't really present that. And so if that's what they're hunting for, then then go seek it out. You know what's interesting, though, is like, are we sure that the fourth overall pick in the draft from a couple of years ago who fits their mold of basic, I, I think he's 6'8", <laughs> not 6'9", but basically his project 6'9", right, of adding more wing players yeah. that Masai Ujiri's love. Here's the other reason that I, I don't mind the Hunter Griffin pieces at the as the centering part. Like, would I like someone better? Of course. Like, this is such a, I find this is kind of such a weird argument of, hey, well, like, I see this a lot on Twitter. It's like, the Raptors should try to get someone who's better, someone who is, like, a better prospect. And I'm like, who is that, that a, a team is going to be willing to part with for Siakam? Again, given all of the parameters of this situation, I do all of a sudden like the idea that the Raptors would become a team centered around Scotty Barnes at the point of attack where now you'd have Grady Dick, you know, there where you'd have Griffin who's 20 years old and who shot, mm-hmm. I think, 40% last year or close to it from three. Mm-hmm. I want to say 39%, 40%. You have Hunter who's a capable shooter, not a lights-out guy, but someone who's who's really, you know, a season before I think was 37, was 35. Like, he's competent. He can do it. You have Gary Trent Jr. now. You have OG Ananobi now, like... All of a sudden, we have Otto Porter Jr. coming off of his injury. Where we're very excited to see him for the Toronto Raptors next year. But yeah, like I do, I like the idea of the Raptors going from this team that didn't have any depth and didn't have any shooting to a team that all of a sudden does have a ton of depth and shooting. And like the potential of you being able to also now flip one of those wings, being in a scenario kind of like, remember last year with Brooklyn when they made that trade for Bridges and all of a sudden yep. they had way too many wings and they didn't end up making a trade and maybe that doesn't materialize for them. But I also think like 3 and D types of guys like that are going to retain mm-hmm. value. And if we're talking about doing other moves at the deadline and other moves down the line, and if you have this developmental coach, I, I don't see why at some point you can't go, yeah, you know what? Now we're going to be able to parlay one of these guys into either more draft picks or into a point guard. Like, is it really outside the realm of possibility that you can turn AJ Griffin into a, a real trade piece or right. that Hunter doesn't also retain some crazy good value for a real trade piece down the line? Like that, I just like the flexibility that this potentially gives you too. Yeah, I mean, look, if it's Griffin, Hunter, and at least two first-round picks, yeah, it's got to be two firsts. Yeah, I, th- I think that's a solid offer. Yeah, and I think that's something that you have to consider. Um, obviously, we haven't heard anything uh, out of any other teams. Uh, Atlanta has been the closest team. Um, so what those offer, what that offer compares to, we don't know. Uh, as of right now, but I think on the surface, that is a solid deal. Um, and so uh, I think, again, yeah, you you have to be cognizant of, hey, 
is Siakam going to walk out the door? Like, I think you can't, you can't turn a blind eye to that. You can't take it for granted that that is just going to happen. Well, I think that you also can't just, if, like, again, if your position is you don't want to give this guy $192 million, you don't want to yeah. give him 30% of the salary cap today, why is that going to change a year from now? You know, like, why is that going to suddenly change? And Siakam does want to be here because that 30%, he can get that here, right? Mm-hmm. And, and why wouldn't he want it here? Like, he's empowered. Um, he gets to live in a world-class city. He would get to make $192 million. Like, he gets to be the face of the yeah. franchise, which is obviously something that's very important to him because, again, when Lowry left Toronto, this was someone who decided to go public with, I really wanted this to be my team. Like, he had, what was it, the New York Times that he went to? Remember, there was, like, that, he yeah. was, like, on the subway, yeah. and he was like, this is my city now. I'm giving a charitable donation, and I'm the Raptors now. <laughs> you know, it was <laughs> like, we were like, all right, Siakam. So, clearly, he wants this stuff, and it's admirable. And I'm... By the way, I like Siakam. I just don't like him being the face of your franchise at $192 million. I don't think the Raptors do either. He's only gaining leverage the further you go down this path. Like, you can't I have agree. him walk and Fred Van Vliet walk. Like, that's, this is not a tenable situation for the Raptors. And so the longer he goes into the season, that's the thing. He's going to be more upset that he doesn't have it. It's going to become a little bit more bitter. I have a harder time believing that the team that, again, did not have any chemistry last year is all of a sudden going to mesh that all these guys, like, we had the report of the young guys and the old guys not being on the same page. Well, now there's even more young guys, right? Like, now there's less mm-hmm. of the the respectable piece in Fred Van Vliet. Like, he's gone. I, I All I see is this getting worse. So if you've made that decision, if you've made the decision that you want to extend him, fine, do it. Like, extend him. Go in that direction. Maybe you're shifting others, like, youthful pieces off your roster and deciding to go with that direction. I think it would be a mistake. But... Once Fred Van Vliet walked out the door, to me it felt apparent that you had to make sure that a Siakam trade got done this offseason and that you finally picked a real direction for the franchise. Agree. Yeah. I think when you look at the Fred Van Vliet situation, that's triggered all of this, right? Yeah. And I think when you look at the coaching staff hires as well, the majority 100%. of the guys, including the head coach, are development guys. And so it's pretty clear from that standpoint, which direction they should be going in. Mm -hmm. And this time that's playing out now in terms of, Hey, what do we do? Which way do we go? That seems to suggest that they are just not getting what they want. Mm -hmm. And do they have to come down from where, what they want or do other teams really need to level up that again, to me, that comes down to how many teams you actually have in the market. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that at this point, given what we've heard and what has been pretty out there for a long time, that the Raptors won't budge on their guys. And given what's happened the last couple of years, it, it just, mm-hmm. to me, it, it, it's getting to the point now where it's like, you, you're not going to end up with those just grand slam, unbelievable, holy crap, Messiah is dominating the rest of the league, Andrea Bargnani, you know, uh, Lou Williams, you know, like, yeah, I, I wonder that too. Like, awesome. My producer just buzzed in my ear about the, uh, well, not the Rudy Gay trade. I meant actually Rudy Gobert was what was in my mind of if they looked at that Rudy Gobert trade and went, yeah, we need to get some type of return. I, I just think that that was an outlier. That was a one of one. You're not going to end up there. And when I keep. Everyone says that's an outlier. Everyone yeah, says that that is not happening again. Everyone yeah. recognizes that, that was a huge mistake. Of course. That is not going to happen again. Of course. And just when we're going down the list of suitors, right? When we go, okay, well, who could be in on Siakam? And I've done this a million times at this point. So the Hawks are there, right? We know the Hawks like them. Go through the rest of the NBA. Like, who who is making the big Siakam move? Like, what is the organization that we feel as though this is the right time for them or that this is going to be the right move for them? Like, 
again, the Pacers are a young team, and they look like they're building a little slower. Does it really behoove them to push chips in the middle to make Siakam their, you know, the pairing to Tyrese Halliburton? Like, where, where is that getting you? Like, what, what exactly does that look like for you? I do, okay. I do think that's a pretty nice pairing, to be honest. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nice pairing, but do you think that you're winning an NBA champion? Like, do you think that you're beating the Celtics, or do you think that you're beating, like, like with Atlanta? No, it's the next step. Yeah, it's it's the next step. But with Atlanta, you can see it where you're going, okay, we're down the line with this Trey thing, and we keep mm-hmm. running this thing at the wall. We want him to be our guy. We just traded for DeJounte Murray. There's like that level of desperation, right, where they're willing to move in future pieces to try to explore the now. Like they clearly want to win, and they think that there is a window within the next three years that they should be able to capitalize on. They've had a little bit of playoff success. They've seen Trey Young do it in the playoffs. You add a defensive guy who can score and play off of him. Like you get it. I don't yep. see the magic working. Like I don't, and all these other teams are full rebuild in the East that are like below them. Right. And I'm not mentioning the bulls or the heat. Like they're not doing this. And then I go like, all right, Sacramento would be kind of interesting, but Sabonis is there. I, I don't know. Like who's the piece that ends up coming out. What's the piece that you're thrilled about coming back to Toronto. That's realistic. It, it doesn't really hit for me. Minnesota yep. that's done. The, the Rudy Gobert trade completely changed that. We went over Oklahoma city and then it just feels like, yeah, the Pelicans. I don't think that the Jazz are going to make a splashy move. Do you? Like, do you think Danny Ainge is pushing chips in the middle to make it like that's the pivot? Like, I, I just, I remain no, unconvinced. And, I mean, the two young guys you'd really want are Markinen and Kessler. They're yeah. not available. Exa- exactly. <laughs> so I keep looking at this and going, what, what do you think the market is here for this guy? Like, are you really waiting on New Orleans to reenter the fray for this? Like, what, what, what are the teams that you're expecting to show up here? Is it, you know, Memphis at some point? Like, again, I don't see the pieces that they end up moving towards you that are blue chippers. Like, the market is the market, and this seems to be the team. And we're now, you know, how long has Siakam been available for? And the only team that we've ever heard in earnest from all of the best league insiders uh, is that it's been Atlanta. Just, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I'm a little worried by, like, and I know that the, they have the reason to leak this report. You mentioned it, right? That Atlanta goes, we're tired of this. We're just putting this out there and, yeah. They're kind of getting what they want here, which is people going, are you kidding me, Toronto? You're still playing the maximum hardball thing <laughs> you know, yeah. and getting frustrated. But you got to look at it, too, with some level of realism here and say, maybe that super deal that we're all looking for, maybe that better prospect, like maybe it's just it's not going to happen for this team. And and that's starting to worry me anyway. Um, yeah. And I, I don't mind the young guys, even though I've watched <laughs> a lot of Hawks games and I never came away from one of them going. God, I wish we had DeAndre Hunter. So that, that's <laughs> like, you know, I feel like the Raptors and the Hawks play 20 times a year and not in a single one of those 20 games a year did I go, God, DeAndre Hunter, I'm really jealous of them that they yeah, have this guy. No. Yeah, <laughs> he's just kind of around. He seems fine. Um, yeah. Okay, so it's tennis time. And uh, you're covering it for sportsnet.ca. And, you know, I read uh, some of your work just to try to catch up and get a little bit in on what's happening here. But, yes, I'm not a tennis guy. I think this is pretty well documented. I, I don't – it's just not my game. Although I am exploring getting into pickleball in the next year. If that's anything – like, I'm exploring starting racket sports. Maybe that will make me like them more as a televised <laughs> product. So give me one thing people should really care about at the National Bank Open presented by Rogers. One thing uh, I, I would say, go watch Carlos Alcaraz. If you, if you get a chance to watch this kid, he is a absolute sensation. I mean, if anyone caught that Wimbledon final where he took down Novak Djokovic, who had won four straight Wimbledons and was a, like a dead on favorite to win his fifth in a row. I mean, 
the way this kid can learn to go from five weeks ago getting pummeled by Djokovic at the French Open, then to come back and beat him on arguably his number one surface. I mean, people will say it's the Australian Open, but this is right up there too. This kid is absolutely special. He is dynamic. He will be playing in Toronto for the first time tonight. Um, and if you get to watch him over the course of the week, absolutely mm. take that chance. See, I mean, this people is showed thing. up. The- people showed up for his practice like mm-hmm. it was a Steph Curry warm up. Mm, I like this. See now, now you've got me hooked because I love. <laughs> because here's the thing: you've played to the things that I like a lot: greatness and comparing people to basketball. <laughs> I'm like, oh, oh, we know each other, JD. Yeah, like, okay, I, you I was like, all right, like greatness potentially. Twenty years old, you know? Okay, yeah, like a long, a long winding road of potential here. I'm, I'm kind of into this. First time in Canada, you know, debuts. That's a good. That was a good sales pitch. That's why you know they're paying big bucks to write for Sportsnet.ca right now. Like, that's <laughs> that's exactly why they're doing this. Okay, and then briefly the state of Canadian tennis because I was joking around with it with the guys in the uh, in in our like bullpen uh, over the mm-hmm. last week as this tournament was starting, and I was like, for a casual like me, it's felt like very much the same state of oh, trust me, these guys are so good, and then it's always like, yeah, all right, they did all right, they did okay. Look, I I don't think there's any hiding from it. Felix Ojeda-Aliasim has had an extremely disappointing 2023. Right. Like, he won three titles in a row to end 2022. Then he goes and leads Canada to its first ever Davis Cup, and you're thinking, okay, this is it. The, the switch has flipped. 2023 is going to be his year. And then after making the fourth round in the Australian Open, he goes out in the first round at the French Open, goes out in the first round at Wimbledon, is out in his, in his first match here. Um that's tough in Toronto. It's, it's a really tough look. And he, he talked about it last night saying that right now it feels like every time he steps on the court, it feels like he's getting out there for the first time. Um, that's not a great feeling. Um, and you, you'd think right now he, he'd be kind of been there, done that, uh, and have that maturity in his approach. So it, it's really tough to see with him. Shapovalov, it's, like, you know, hey, if, if he's hot for a week uh, or two, hey, anything can happen. If not, you know, he's going to be like a top 30, top 40 guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then women's, uh, Layla is still in the tournament. Um, I thought Bianca getting beat. I mean, Camilla Georgie has won this tournament before in 2021. She played lights out, but at the same time, I thought it was disappointing. Um, she played so well at Wimbledon, even though she lost in the third round, she lost to the finalist on Shapur in a tight three setter. So you're thinking she's carrying that momentum forward. And that's kind of what the hype was coming into this. And that wasn't the case. So uh, it, it's pretty flat right now. That's for sure. Yeah. And you know, uh, we're, we've kind of run out of time here, but I will say that that actually sort of interests me. And I, I maybe I'll end up having this conversation with you off air sometime or, end up having you back on when this tournament's done or something along those lines. But yeah, we went from this extreme. I can get optimism. you on to tennis, bud. Yeah. No, I just, just meant in terms of like <laughs> the extreme optimism around Canadian tennis and this whole, like we basically did two to three years of how is this happening? How are we so incredible? Like, how are we the tennis nation? And, you know, the States has struggled to find the next great champions and Canada is building, building something to all of a sudden, like, 
oh, well, none of these really panned out the way that we thought. It's like, whoa, none? None of the stocks we had? <laughs> We're like, I feel yeah. like I'm sitting in front of my financial advisor like, there's no way that the OGL Yassim stock, and you're like, no, it's performing worse than the rest, and the Shabavalov stock we're hoping is kind of a middling stock of this. I'm like, no, there's how, how is this like how we're ruined? <laughs> how does this happen? <laughs> Anyways, uh, Vivek Jacob, again, you can read his work on uh, all of the tennis, follow him uh, on Twitter and read all of his stuff at sports.ca right now. And then yes, Raptor stuff for CBC and Raptors.com. Thanks as always, buddy. I appreciate your time. Thanks so much. See you pal. Uh, Vivek Jacob, truly um, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite writers. Um, Quick break. <laughs> Dubas refuses to stay out of the news. All right, I don't have a ton of time and I'm not doing podcast only today because all my little podcast compatriots are all on vacation. How dare they enjoy the, sum, the summer. Mackie never does. You're just always here. You're my guy. I'll never leave you, JD. I know. You can't get rid of me. You're the grind. You grind. It's just, you, you know... Hard work, dedication, that's you. Um, okay, so uh, the family guy, Kyle Dubas, he makes a big splashy trade. And he, because he's the GM and he's the president, which probably doesn't take very much time. Um, he decides to make a deal for Eric Carlson. And then, in speaking about the Eric Carlson trade, he says this. It was a fairly uh, lengthy process um, with San Jose um, that goes back to my previous place of employment. And so Mike Greer was, uh, was great to deal with throughout. Um, they obviously uh, accomplished their goal of, of uh, gaining draft choices and greater flexibility as they go through. Yeah, yeah, okay. There we go. First of all, there's nothing funnier than him saying my former place of employment like he said the Leafs uh, when I was with the Leafs goes back to that no can't do it. my uh, former place of employment okay all right man uh, this is clearly like again these the general managers this is Kyle Dubas a smart guy all right he didn't become a president and a general manager by being a big dumbo he knows exactly what he's doing and he likes being in the limelight he likes being in the spotlight it's just a thing he likes it that's why he brings that up, because he knows that we're going to discuss this. And he knows that it's going to go viral, and that Leaf fans are going to go, what would the deal have been, and blah, 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 blah. And it's interesting. But I will say that it, it is a bit interesting thinking about last year's deadline, because that's what he has to be insinuating, is last year at the deadline, they looked at a Carlson trade. And they would have obviously asked San Jose to eat a ton more money. And we discussed some of these things on the show at the time. But he confirmed those things were real. And again, how deep these conversations went. Maybe more serious, given that he's the guy who eventually pulled the trigger. But again, he does make way more sense for that team than the Toronto Maple Leafs, given where they currently are, unless they were going to move out one of their core four. And Toronto was never going to do that at the deadline last year. So how exactly was this going to work? Right? Like, what, what was the scenario where the Carlson deal made sense last year at the deadline? And it's hard to envision a trade where they would have done it, where it wouldn't have backfired quite significantly, given, yeah, the money that would have needed to go out. So, yes, Carlson to Toronto rumors confirmed. 
still no semblance of an idea of even what it could have been that would have gone the other way. I looked at every time I look at it, I'm like, well, how could they have justified something like that? How, how could they have justified the idea of moving, you know, uh, Morgan Riley in a trade? I can't see that. It, like that would have never happened. So who was it? H- how were they supposed to have gotten that thing done? Other than a massive swing where they would have gone, you got to eat a ton of the money, but we'll give you a ton of stuff. And I don't think that San Jose wanted to ever do that, right? They ended up with 1.5. So who knows? Either way, this guy just cannot help himself. And he still loves the Toronto Maple Leafs. And it's obvious. Like, listen, if you go on a date with a woman or a guy and they're always talking about their ex, and they're bringing them up, they're probably still in love with their ex. That's all I got to say about Kyle Dubas. He's, he's still in love with his ex. He can say all the stuff about like how Pittsburgh is the, it feels more like home because it reminds me of the Sioux. Okay, yeah, whatever, man. Oh, you talked to Sidney Crosby. Okay, sure, whatever. Like you got more press clippings from mentioning Toronto's name than you probably ever will in all of your time in Pittsburgh. Anyway, that's all. So thank you, Kyle Dubas, for that. And enjoy the Pittsburgh Penguins season. I'm sure they'll win the Stanley Cup. Uh, let's wrap this thing up. We'll see you tomorrow.